On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we take a deep dive into the mitochondria and the endocannabinoid system with Dr. Lee No. Because other things currently we say that you can't really treat it or you know it's it's a progressive condition that is only going to get worse a lot of that I question now because it, it's just a matter of time before we, we discover something that's going to work in, in those situations we have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am very excited to bring on a gentleman I've been studying for many, many years, and I've been wanting to get him on the show for many, many years, Dr. Lee No. He wrote an incredible, groundbreaking book in 2018, actually many years before that, but it got republished. You'll hear about that. The book is called Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine, the Key to Understanding Disease, Chronic Illness, Aging, and Life Itself. It's a fantastic resource on the mitochondria. And we'll take a deep dive into why he wrote that book. Very fascinating backstory. Then, of course, we geek out on the mitochondria. Of course, we talk about how ketones and ketosis support the mitochondria. We'll get into his favorite ways to stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis, this the creation of new mitochondria. He's going to talk about the benefits of exercise, moving your body, certain nutrients, why he loves keto, why it's so important for the brain because the brain is loaded with mitochondria. So get ready. We're going to geek out on the mighty mitochondria. And then we transition the second half of the episode to focus on something he's focused on right now, which is the endocannabinoid system and the receptor sites. I had a very shallow understanding of these CB1, CB2 receptor sites and CBD and endocannabinoid system. And he helped me understand it tremendously. And uh, you're going to understand it more as well. Different receptor sites, different activities, how it regulates the nervous system. And this fascinating research that he's going to share with you, he created an incredible company and product and, and lineup of products called the Cananda, C-A-N-N-A-N-D-A, which is a terpene, which has a strong affinity for CB2. You'll hear about what that does and why that's important and how it helps with anxiety, with stress, inflammation, and sleep, and so many things, so many other things out there that people are dealing with and how animals could use it too. I learned that every vertebrae animal animal has CBD receptors. So take a get ready to take a deep dive into the mitochondria and the endocannabinoid system. Before I bring on Dr. Lee No, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is from Jenny S09. 
five-star review titled, Ben is amazing. Ben has quickly become my favorite keto coach and educator. He has a contagiously happy attitude coupled with a wicked intelligence. That is a huge compliment. He is fun and stays abreast of all the cutting edge information around this lifestyle and more. Aside from keto coaching, Ben is an amazing overall life coach. I look forward to listening as often as I can. Jenny, thank you. I appreciate you. What a compliment. Thank you so much. And you're right. It's more than keto. Keto is one tool in the shed, a great tool. I love it. But it's so much more. We talk about life coaching, if you want to call it that, but like self-development, mental six-pack. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. If you haven't left the show at rating and review, please do so. And hopefully I'll see it and read yours on the next episode. All right, let's get into today's conversation with Dr. Lee No. Dr. Lee No, naturopathic doctor, is a licensed naturopathic doctor and the recipient of several awards. Known by his peers to be a strategic and forward-thinking entrepreneur and researcher, he has held positions as a medical advisor, scientific evaluator, and director of research and development for major organizations. Besides managing scientific affairs for Cananda, he is also currently serving as a consultant to the natural health products and dietary supplement industries, serves as an editorial advisory board member for Canada's most read natural health magazine, as well as the medical review board of one of the world's largest natural health websites and the author of the best-selling book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. He calls the greater Toronto area home where he lives with his common law partner and their two sons and has a particular interest in promoting natural health and environmental stewardship. Here's Dr. Lee No. Dr. Lee No, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks, Ben. I'm excited we're doing this. I know that uh, our mutual friend Ari Witten made this happen. So thank you, Ari, for making this connection happen. I fell in love with your work, with your new book. Well, not your new book, your last book on the mitochondria. And it gave me like a masterclass on what the mitochondria do in the body. It's, it's far more than just these energy power plants. And you did a great explanation of what it does and the understanding of it. But before we get to that book and some of the new things you're doing, let's rewind and talk about like the journey that led you to the path of becoming a doctor. How did that even happen? Well, I've always been interested in health and, and medicine. And uh, at that time, I thought I was going to get, uh, get into, you know, conventional medical school. But I've always been more interested in nutrition, botanical medicine, and other types of modality that would kind of fall into the more traditional side of, of medicine. And when I say traditional, I mean the, I guess, more like the, uh, the complementary side of medicine. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know that naturopathic medicine existed until I think it was my second year of my undergrad at university. And, and this is one of the things that that's really cool and how things just happen in your life that kind of guide you into the, into the right, onto the right path. And I remember sitting beside this, uh, this person who just sparked up a conversation with me. And she told me that she had just got into the naturopathic medical college uh, in Toronto. And that was the first time I even heard about naturopathic medicine. And I was thinking, well, what is that? So I remember going home and looking in, into this and realizing that it's exactly what I wanted to do. Even if I went into conventional medical school, I knew that uh, once I graduated and it went into practice, it would probably be predominantly based on nutrition and botanical medicine. Uh, so finding naturopathic medicine, I thought was was perfect. What's interesting is that I don't recall seeing that person 
ever again. So it was almost like she, she entered <laughs> my life to tell me about naturopathic medicine and then disappeared. Wow. Yeah, so. She changed your life forever and you haven't even <laughs> exactly, thanked her for yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, to make a long story short, I went to uh, the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in, in Toronto and uh, I graduated uh, from that school in 2003, uh, which is hard to believe. It's We're, we're having... We're, you know, some of my colleagues and I are talking about our 20th year anniversary or, or you know, our uh, reunion. 20 year you know, reunion. Yeah. So it's it's mind boggling to think that it's been that long already. Oh, that's interesting. You know, what's funny is that I graduated high school in 2003. So I got recently got notified that we're doing our 20 year high school reunion. And I had the same thought 20 years. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It's crazy. So, okay. So this woman changed your life forever. Uh, if you're listening, you know, Dr. Lee, no, thanks you for that. If you ever come across this episode, it led you down the path as a naturopathic doctor. Now, what led you to write the book, uh, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine, the Key to Understanding Disease, Chronic Illness, Aging, and Life Itself? And then how long did it take for you to write that book? Because it came out in 2018. So what fascinated you about the mitochondria along the way? Well, so I was actually consulting for a supplement company in Canada at that time. And they were heavily involved in Coenzyme Q10. And part of my role there was not just product development, but also educating other practitioners and doctors. And this was at a time where uh, I think things really started to pick up for CoQ10. And one of the things that I was tasked with doing was putting on some presentations to fertility clinics around the use of CoQ10. And most of my, my education and training for, uh, in that role was pretty basic, talking to other stores at a very you know, easy to understand level. But I knew that in order to go into a fertility clinics and talk to the nurses and the doctors, I needed to understand the situation to a much greater depth. And it was that research in developing the presentation to, to talk to, to those clinics where I really started to understand how important healthy mitochondria and mitochondrial function is not just for, to your point, uh, you know, energy production or even just uh, fertility, enhancing fertility treatments, but it spanned pretty much all aspects of a healthy life. And uh, that's what really got me interested at at the start. But then when you start digging deeper and deeper, it, it just gets more interesting and more complex as well. And one of the things that I I thought was, well, I'm coming across all these resources with excellent information, but I I haven't come across anything that kind of pulled everything together into one resource. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity here uh, to put something out that kind of combines a lot of different uh, resources and the information that's scattered throughout uh, various disciplines and bring them together into one book. So that's what I, I launched, actually self-published in 2014. At that time, I just kind of put it out there as a self, uh, self-interest self project, but it got picked up by a couple um, big names, I guess. They, they read it, they liked it, and that kind of put me on the map. And what's interesting was throughout the next few years, I was getting contacted by a, d- a number of different publishers that wanted to get the rights to it. I really ignored most of them. They, they were coming from, you know, Eastern European countries or foreign um, places that I really, I was wondering, is this a scam or, or, or is it legit? But then along came Chelsea Green. They, they sent me an email saying, we like your book. We'd like to retain the rights to it. 
and I looked at uh, looked into them, and they were a U.S. Uh, publisher. They had uh, they were a legitimate publisher. So I thought, okay, let's let's see where this can go. And uh, to make a long story short, I signed the rights over to them in 2017. They, what they ended up doing was taking the the original book and just relaunching it under a new title. Of course, in that time, I did more research to make sure that the information was still current. Um, and as you know, anything related to science is constantly changing. What's true today can be false tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, in, in the span of, uh, so when I signed the rights over to them, that was 2017. So that was, you know, three years gap I needed to fill in terms of making sure that everything was still current. I added a few more uh, references, did a little bit more research, and then that was the book that got published in 2018. Very interesting. I didn't know that backstory. And the book is, you know, very successful. It's it's reached a lot of people. Like you said, it put you on the map. What was the original name of title of the book before it was changed? It was Life, Life, the Epic Story of Our Mitochondria. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, it's pretty much exactly the same book as the um, the one that is now available. But uh, like I said, it was self-published. And this one is uh, is a lot more professionally done. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a fantastic book. So if you haven't gotten it, like go get it. I know it's from 2018. And to your point, things have changed. There's, uh, there's updated stuff that have come out, but it's still such a valuable resource. I do recommend anybody listening or watching to go get the book. Some of the principles I'd love for you to share from that book, and I know it was in the 2014 through 18 and things have changed, but did you come across anything in regards to uh, ketones or the ketogenic diet with uh, mitochondrial health? Or if, if you did, okay, so let's start there and then we'll talk about some other, you know, golden nuggets from that book. So what did you discover with keto and the mitochondria? Well, as, as you know, the ketogenic diet is, is very heavily, or the mitochondria is very heavily involved in the ketogenic diet or the, the benefits of the ketogenic diet really heavily weigh on the, the mitochondria and its role in uh, energy metabolism, as well as being able to use different sources of fuel to... Uh, to create energy as well as reverse a lot of the the ailments that modern lifestyles have have brought about, and more specifically with respect to um, sugar intake and things like diabetes and insulin sensitivity and insulin secretion. So one of the things that I do talk about in the book is the benefits of a ketogenic diet. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on it, and I won't pretend to be an expert in it, but there is a very strong link. Uh, between the benefits of the ketogenic diet and how it improves the functioning of the mitochondria. And uh, with respect to ketones, specifically, one of the things that I briefly talk about in the book is its role in something uh, things like uh, diabetes and Alzheimer's. Uh, and as you might already know, um, Alzheimer's in some circles is being called type 3 diabetes. And we're seeing some really incredible success stories of people with Alzheimer's almost doing a complete 180 in, in terms of their condition by going on a ketogenic diet, providing the fuel, a, a different source of fuel for their brain. And all of a sudden, they, their brain just wakes up and they come to again. So uh, really cool stuff. Uh, of course, there's a lot of inf uh, information out there. And I, again, touch upon this uh, uh, briefly in the book with respect to cancer and of course, cancer requires a lot of fuel to, to constantly grow. And when you starve it of its main fuel source, which is sugars, of course, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have some positive effects there. So uh, whether uh, it's, uh, you know, 
a, a treatment that people want to do on their own or uh, as an adjunct to conventional uh, cancer protocols, it's one of those things that I think people should look into and, and see if it's right for them. A slightly related but different story here is, and, and this is also really cool, is uh, so there was a, uh, um, a film producer from Norway that actually had cancer that was pretty much inoperable and his doctors had pretty much written him off and uh, he decided to, you know, he's not going to take this laying down. He's going to fight, uh, fight it. And what he did was he did, a, uh, did his research, came across uh, a number of different protocols related to ketogenic diet and uh, put himself on this, uh, on this protocol. And a few months later, he, I, I think it was, and sorry, sorry, my memory on this is a little bit fuzzy. Um, I think it was like six months or something like that. Um, his cancer essentially disappeared. And this was a, a situation where the doctors said, there's nothing we can do for you. And he, he put himself on this ketogenic diet, as well as a number of other things, uh, healed himself. His doctors couldn't find the cancer anymore, and they were shocked. But when they asked him what he did, they just kind of brushed it off and didn't follow up or didn't even want to do a case study or understand what, why this might be happening. And so because, because of that and because of his background as a, as a film producer, he ended up deciding to do a documentary on himself and then uh, so I was part of that, as well as a, a number of other authors in, in the same uh, space. And uh, yeah, that was uh, released in, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was like 2020 in, in Norway. So, Yeah, that's an amazing story. It's too bad the doctors didn't want to use that as a case study and then explore that more. Because, well, I, I'm not surprised, right? If you could put the benefits of a ketogenic diet in a pill, they would have for sure been all over that. But you can't. Uh, unfortunately, even when there's a lot of studies out there when it comes to a low fat, excuse me, a high fat, low carb diet in reversal of type 2 diabetes, it's so effective, more effective than any drug out there, including metformin and all these other drugs, but you can't put it into a pill. So why would they study it, right, Lee? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's the craziest thing is that when you look at uh, the only studies that have really found the ability to reverse type 2 diabetes, so Prior to this, you know, we thought, you know, once you have type 2 diabetes, that, that's it. You can manage it. You can slow the progression or the, the consequences of type 2 diabetes. But, you know, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. It wasn't until these studies on things like the ketogenic diet and uh, calorie restriction where we found that you can actually reverse type 2 diabetes. And again, sorry, sorry for my mind being so, so fuzzy. This, these studies that I looked at are, you know, a little bit distant in my memory now, but I remember coming across studies and I mentioned a couple of them in my book where these individuals with type 2 diabetes were put on the, the, the ketogenic protocol. And uh, within a few months, essentially all of them, their blood sugars were, were back to normal. And then I think it was like six months post-study, 90% of them still, and this was after returning back to their regular lifestyle, not on the ketogenic diet, not like 90% of them. And again, don't quote me on that number, but the vast majority of them still had no signs of diabetes. Uh, so it is a curable condition uh, as long as you know how to do it. And it's just trying to get that message out there. Yeah, 100%. I've seen it with so many of my students who have been taking insulin for years and they go and they do a ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting, work with their doctor to lower the dose, lower the dose, and eventually get off of it completely. 
Uh, it happens all the time. It's no longer the the old dogma of it's a progressive chronic disease we can help you manage. It's a whole bunch of BS. Uh, and of course, we're talking about type two, not type one. There's, you know, at least right now, there's no cure or reversal of completely of type one. But with a keto diet and intermittent fasting, it actually helps the quality of life with a type one because they're not as insulin dependent. Meaning, if they were injecting themselves seven times a day. They do keto and fasting. They might lower that to like three times a day. So it just helps their quality of life, but not reverse it completely. We have we've seen that in some mouse studies with Dr. Valtrolongo. With fasting, it regenerated the beta cells in type one diabetic mice, but we haven't we haven't seen it in humans. And but I'm not throwing it away. Like meaning, I do think one day we'll come up with a way to reverse type one diabetes. I don't know if it'll happen in the next few years, but I think it will happen. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. You know what? If one, there, there's one takeaway that I've come across in my research and my personal experience and just being in the health industry for the last few decades is that what we think of as conventional dogma now might not be true in, in a month, in a year, in 10 years. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I remember back to uh, even just, as simple as understanding nutrition's role in, you know, skin health or anything like that. And, and, uh, I remember, uh, you know, as a teenager, I went to a dermatologist for, for acne and things like that. And they said, you don't have to change your diet. There's no, no connection between diet and, and acne. Now you think like that's ludicrous, right? Like it's so much common sense. Like even a toddler would understand that. But back then it was unheard of that you could change the health of your skin by what you eat. And, uh, and so there, there are many things like that where we think of something now uh, or in the past and it's just not true anymore. And uh, it goes back to even our, our talk about uh, type 2 diabetes. Like it really is something that you can turn around and just because other things currently we say that you can't really treat it or you know it's, it's a progressive condition that is only gonna get worse a lot of that I question now because it, it's just a matter of time before we, we discover something that's going to work in, in those situations. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed, their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, 
but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Before we shift to your comp- your new company, Kananda, I'm saying it right, right? Kananda. You are, yeah. <laughs> Before we shift there and talk more about the uh, endocannabinoid system, let's close the loop on the mitochondria. But it's also going to relate to the you know what we're going to talk about next with your new company and what um, the endocannabinoid system, how it works. But what are the top three hits, if you will, that create mitochondrial dysfunction? Like, well, If you had to choose three of the top things that are just destroying our mitochondria, I know there's a lot, but what are your top three based off of your research? Well, I think a sedentary lifestyle is huge. So being physically active, as much as you've heard that for many other situations, being physically active is the single greatest thing you can do for your mitochondria. And again, in terms of understanding the mechanism, if you read my book, you can understand the rationale of why that's the case. Uh, not just being sedentary, damaging the mitochondria, but being physically active and how that can help improve the health of your mitochondria. The other one would be diet. So, uh, you know, ensuring that you're eating a nutrient-dense diet that's not full of empty empty calories. One of the things that uh, I, again, talk a lot about in the book is that these calories have to be burned. And when it's burned through oxidative phosphorylation in the mitochondria, a lot of that, especially if you have excessive amounts and not enough physical activity, you're going to create those superoxide... Reactive oxygen freezes. That, that's right, uh, which go, uh, go on and damage the, the mitochondrial DNA, which is pretty much in the immediate vicinity of where those free radicals are, are generated. So making sure that you're reducing your caloric intake, but at the same time, improving the nutrient density of those foods, you're going to make sure that you, you feed your body with the nutrient it needs, but not in a way that you're introducing excessive calories. Were there any specific nutrients that, like supplements that you saw really helped uh, with this uh, mitochondrial health or mitogenesis? There are a few. I would say I talk about, 
E3 in the book. And of course, there is there are a number of different versions of B3 that are more beneficial in terms of mitochondrial biogenesis. So for your, your listeners that might not understand what mitochondrial biogenesis is, is the process of creating more mitochondria. And in, in, in essence, the more mitochondria you have, again, if they're healthy, uh, the more energy they can produce and everything that happens in the cell requires an input of energy. So the more mitochondria you have, the better everything else works. So mitochondrial biogenesis in uh, general is something that you want to see happen and happens naturally in response to things like exercise, um, caloric restriction, things like that. But with respect to uh, nutrients, uh, B3, I mentioned uh, nicotinamide riboside, which is, uh, which is a great supplement. Um, I know right now what seems to be really popular is MNM, which uh, seems to uh, have some interesting research as well. I think typically uh, the research has pointed more towards uh, intravenous uh, supplementation, but it's interesting to see what might come of that as long as the, the human research is being done. There's PQQ, which is another quinone molecule in a similar sense to uh, uh, CoQ10, which is also a quinone molecule. CoQ10 is also great. I, I talk about magnesium. I, I'm not sure if I recall seeing studies with respect to mitochondrial biogenesis specifically for magnesium, but it's one of those things that most people are deficient in and is a key part of ATP, uh, which is the, the energy molecule in our bodies. And D-ribose, I think, is a great one as well. That's great. So, okay, so those are two tips. I guess that's the third tip with the actual supplementation. Out of those three tips, so we have exercise, you know, moving your body, strength training, etc., eating whole foods, and then these specific supplements that you could take and nutrients. Which one would you give you the biggest bang for your buck? I imagine, and I think you said in the book, it's actually like strength training or exercise will give you the biggest bang for your buck. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's it's... It's free, right? It's free. Like, go sprint, it, it, go move your body. It's free. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know that your book came out in 2018. Since then, I've, I've really took a deep dive into the mitochondria and I started to get into what ketones specifically do to the mitochondria. And I got into a lot of research. And I don't know if you, because I know that the book came out a few years ago and you transitioned, but I'm just going to share this and see if you've seen it or not. But I've seen that ketones are acting like these signaling molecules that communicate with the mitochondria to create the mitogenesis, which is the, the creation of new mitochondria. But it does it by kind of stressing the mitochondria, similar to exercise, right? That's the theme there. Stress is it, but stress is not bad unless you don't, don't adapt to the stress. But the right amount, it gets stronger. So it creates more ATP. And, I, and I've seen the electron transport chain and what it does if some if, if a cell of a mitochondria is burning sugar glucose versus the mitochondria burning uh, ketones fat, I've seen about a four hundred percent increase in the ATP with ketones because of this mitogenesis versus just sugar burning. Have you wow. seen something similar? I have not, but that yeah. is really fascinating information. Yeah, that's what I've seen the last few years. It's so interesting, which makes sense because. What most people say when they do keto, is the number one thing in terms of the benefits of, yeah, the weight loss and all that, but what it does for their brain and to your book's point and to the research out there, the most mitochondria is in the brain. So it's like, it makes sense that ketones will have the biggest bang for your buck in the brain and what it does for mental clarity. So it's just so interesting to me. Yeah. And, and what, one of the things that I find really interesting is the breadth of research that's being done in this area. Um, and this 
you know, even back in the mid 20 teens that where I was doing the bulk of my research, I set up a, a an alert on PubMed where, you know, uh, I would get an alert on a weekly basis if there was any mention of the mitochondria. And on a weekly basis, on average, I would be getting about 300 new studies. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And (laughs) that alert is still active. And and on occasion, I check it out. And it's still, to this day, every week, there's hundreds of new studies. And of course, they're not all clinical trials. Uh, Some are more exploratory and some are in vitro studies. But the fact that that there are that many studies on a weekly basis that was happening for decades, you know, we're we're really going to be pushing the knowledge forward and that's going to hopefully benefit everyone. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. You're right. That's a proof that this is a very important part of biology to study and to uh, research. There's a gentleman named Dr. Robert Navio, who's, uh, I believe, out of California. And he's been going on with his research on something called the cell danger response. And um, we're seeing that a lot with COVID and the long haul COVID symptoms with when somebody gets a COVID infection or a virus. And it's not just COVID. It's something that is a, is a kind of a cellular threat. The mitochondria, according to his research, are acting, and you have to listen to your book, is acting like a surveillance system to identify these stressors. So let's say COVID, for example, is a stressor. But if their stress bucket is full, if they don't have really healthy mitochondria, and then they have this virus that comes in, the mitochondria will lower energy production for survival to deal with the threat. So it's like a surveillance system. So it sees this threat lowers energy production, and then the threat is gone. The virus is gone after seven days, they recover. But it gets stuck in this uh, low energy state where it's in a cell danger response. So we need to teach the mitochondria that it's safe. He calls it peacetime metabolism versus wartime metabolism. And when that mitochondria is in the CDR response, that's where the symptoms continue to manifest. And I don't forget, I mean, I do forget because I, I, I read your book so many years ago, but did you have aspects of that in your book? I, I, don't, I don't recall. I don't recall. Uh, I don't think I, I came across research like that yeah, uh, when I was writing the book. Newer, it's newer research that I've seen, but isn't that fascinating? It is, yeah. And, and obviously, perfect timing for, for that information to come out so that... Yeah. Those dealing with COVID long-haul symptoms, the, the, goal, the goal is the mitochondria. So your book is 100% relevant because you're going to talk about how to upgrade the mitochondria. So if you're dealing with long-haul COVID symptoms... Yeah, work with a practitioner, but you might want to get the book, uh, Dr. Lee's book, so you could just understand more about how to support the mitochondria. Okay, that was fun. I, I'm glad we got to dig into that. Now, let's transition, Lee, to uh, your new company, which is called Cananda. Not Canada, but Cananda. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, why did you make the transition? What are you doing? What are some of the cool things you're seeing? Well, this is an area that I've always been interested in, uh, in, in terms of the endocannabinoid systems influence on on health and what's really cool is that there is some connection and right now it's in the early stages and we're still the scientific community is still trying to figure out how the endocannabinoid system and the mitochondria kind of dovetail together but uh, there is a connection and what's interesting is that they're both related to to homeostasis so the endocannabinoid system uh, is often thought of as the master regulator of homeostasis and Anytime something goes wrong in the body, it's the endocannabinoid system's job to kind of jump into action and start the processes needed to bring about healing or or bring back those processes back towards its 
balanced state. And, and so this was, uh, uh, has always been an area of interest as well as the mitochondria. And when I was going through clinical practice at, at that time, it's one of those things that as a practitioner, we just didn't have access to in terms of recommending cannabis and things like that. So it was always kind of a, an interest, but I didn't pursue it. So one of the, uh, as, as the years went on and Canada was about to uh, legalize cannabis and uh, keep in mind that medicinal use of cannabis was uh, legalized in, uh, in Canada far before recreational. It started to allow me to look into that a lot more. And my, my interest in that, this field grew. And when I started to look at how to influence the endocannabinoid system in a way that may or may not need cannabis, I realized that, you know what, there's a legal way to do it without even cannabis and there's no one doing it. And that's one of the, the, the reasons why I, I, I thought this was a perfect opportunity to bring about something that's, you don't need to go to a regulated cannabis dispensary to, to, to buy it. And of course, there's a lot of individuals that uh, might benefit from the benefit uh, from uh, cannabinoids, but they don't want to go to a, a cannabis dispensary to, to purchase it. So our products are sold through health food stores. So a lot of the avenues that they might be used to getting their, their health products. Um, so it's a lot more accessible. It's a lot more economical. And I feel that it, it really does fill a gap in the market. Of course, there are, are situations where cannabis might be uh, uh, more indicated, but I would say uh, we can bring about the same type of health benefits in the vast majority of the individuals that are using medical cannabis at a fraction of the cost as well as in a much safer way. I love that. I love that. It's such a great idea. So are, is your product available right now in health food stores and is it in, in a supplement form? It is, yeah. So basically what we're using is uh, there are compounds called terpenes and uh, terpenes are, are regulated in, in Canada as uh, as as flavors, as a matter of fact. So uh, one of the things that we use is uh, a base of hemp seed oil, uh, which is legally available. It's just the, uh, the oil pressed from the seeds. We add these terpenes that activate the CB2 receptors. And because we're not even using anything that falls outside of the health or the supplement regulations, our products can legally be sold in health food stores. So we have hundreds of uh, stores throughout Canada that, uh, that oh, sell wow. our products. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's super cool, man. Yeah. And, uh, and then we, we, we've exported to, um, to Australia, the UK, and the European Union, and, uh, and even South Korea. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. What about here in um, the US? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, we've tried to enter the US at the start of the pandemic, and we actually had um, a few sales reps. And we just signed the contract when the lockdowns happened. Uh, and, and so they were not able to hit the road and go out. We found some limited success, but of course, with the lockdowns and stores being shut down, there was, there was really no business uh, to be had. So by the end of 2020, we pretty much said, you know what, it doesn't seem to be working. We're going to have to kind of shut things down in the U.S. and, and look for a, another opportunity. Fast forward to now, uh, and it's, it's uh, coincidental timing that I'm talking to you. We are actually probably a week to two weeks away from launching in the U.S., uh, so we're going to be launching first with our topical product, which is the CB2 salve. 
And uh, that I think will initially go up on uh, Amazon. Uh, so we're super excited. It's, uh, the US is obviously um, a market that is big. And I think that there is a huge opportunity to help so many people. When you look at the number of people that we've helped in, in Canada, which is you know a tenth of the size, and we have thousands of testimonials, I'm really excited to get our products into the US. And of course, with our launch in the US, we're actually having our products manufactured in the US as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love all of that. And I want to talk a little bit more about what what is this useful for? I, I don't really have a good understanding on the endocannabinoid system. And I would love for you to like just educate me a little bit further. Because I understand that the nervous system is very crucial to balancing out the parasympathetic branch versus the sympathetic branch. But where does the endocannabinoid system fall into that nervous system balance? Because you mentioned that it helps with homeostasis. What's happening there in regards to the nervous system? Yeah, so I'll backtrack and, and just talk about uh, the endocannabinoid system, as I mentioned, uh, is often seen as uh, a system related to homeostasis. And its two main components are the endocannabinoids or cannabinoid compounds that our bodies make and the cannabinoid receptors. Uh, so when we talk about cannabinoid receptors, the two main ones that, uh, that are often discussed are cannabinoid receptor type 1, or CB1, and cannabinoid receptor type 2, or CB2. Now, CB1 receptors are the ones that, when you activate, are associated with intoxication. So when you use cannabis and THC, that activates uh, CB1 receptors, and that's what gets people high. Now, of course, there are medicinal benefits to activating cannabinoid receptor type 1 or CB1, uh, but it's always going to come with that intoxica uh, intoxicating effect. You're going to get high. You're going to get high, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, CB2 receptors uh, are predominantly found in the periphery, and when you activate them, uh, it, it brings about a lot of the uh, health benefits associated with, with cannabis, but you don't get the, the intoxication. So uh, the main benefits are related to uh, an anti-inflammatory benefit, the CB2 receptors are largely found on the immune system cells, which is related to things like uh, inflammation and uh, the immune response. So when we activate the CB2 receptors, you bring about a resolution or you tame down the, uh, the inflammation. And related to the nervous system, one of the things that happens is uh, the endocannabinoid system works through what they call retrograde signaling. So the signals go backwards. And so what that means is that when you have signals going down your nervous system, showing an overactivity, the endocannabinoid system sends a signal back to the presynaptic, presynaptic neurons to say, hey, you know what? Things are a little bit too crazy here. Let's tone things down. And that's how the endocannabinoid system regulates the nervous system is by sending these almost inhibitory signals up the chain. If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on. And I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses. And I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow. 
But if you were able to eliminate 99 of those 100 tabs and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, two to three hours before I go to bed, which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100% blackout sleep mask that I take with me when I travel all the time. The greatest thing about them, all backed up by science. They gave Keto Camp Podcast listeners a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout, no space in between, to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out and let's get back to this episode. Question on, you said there are CB2 receptors largely found in the immune system cells. Do you know if there are any in the dendritic cells of the immune system? Have you seen that? That I don't know. But one of the things, uh, and and I I don't recall coming across that specifically, but CB2 receptors are found pretty much everywhere in the body. So if I had to, if you're forcing me to say yes or no, I would say yes. You're inclined to say yes. Yeah. Um, nearly every tissue and cell in the body has been shown to, to have CB2 receptors. The interesting thing is, though, and I'll use the brain as an example, because the brain at one point was thought to be void of CB2 receptors. We know it has a lot of CB1 receptors, uh, hence the, the high you, uh, you, you feel when you use uh, things like cannabis. But we didn't think that it had CB2 receptors. But the newer research does show that CB2 receptors do exist in the brain. And how they end up in the brain is when there is a stress put on the body, our body actually upregulates the production of, or the expression of those CB2 receptors. So CB2 receptors are very uh, much in flux all throughout the day and are upregulated in response to any sort of challenge. So uh, you know, if, you're, if you have, to use a simple example, like if I sprain my wrist, you know, my body would upregulate those CB2 receptors in my wrist. So when you take a product like ours, those terpenes are going to find those CB2 receptors. And for me, it might benefit the pain and inflammation in my wrist. But for someone else that might have upregulated CB2 receptors in the brain due to anxiety, they're going to feel a, a different set of effects because their CB2 receptors are located in the brain. So uh, it, it's one of those things where uh, our body really tells our product, where to to take effect. That is fascinating. Okay, so let's unpack that. You said the brain has CB1 and CB2 receptors, and when there's mental stress, let's say a lot somebody's dealing with uh, COVID, right? Not not getting COVID, but like all the craziness that happened with COVID. So mental stress. They're watching the news. They're they're talking about the president. They're they're, they're gossiping, and they're like stressed out. That's going to upregulate the. CB2 receptor sites in the brain to deal with that is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So, so 
sorry, just to finish that thought. So, yeah. so if somebody is constantly in that stressful environment, mental, they're not getting out, does it create like a resistance, like an insulin res- resistance sort of thing to those receptor sites? Can that happen as well? Well, that's an interesting question. And the research that I've seen so far says no, not with respect to CB2 receptors. Now, what we call tolerance to different therapeutics does happen with CB1 receptors. So there is a bunch of research to show that with chronic exposure to CB1 receptor activators, our bodies do develop resistance or tolerance to to those. Meaning you need to take more to get the same effect, more to take the same effect. Exactly. But you haven't seen that with CB2. That's right. Uh, But with CB2 receptors, we've not seen tolerance develop. So, uh, and and that's one of the the benefits of something like ours is that it doesn't, uh, people are able to take it at at a steady dose for a prolonged period of time. Whereas as an example with cannabis, especially the ones uh, that contain THC and you're activating the CB1 receptors, whether you're using it for medicinal reasons or recreational reasons, you've probably come across regular users that over time have to take larger and larger doses to get the same effect. And often even a decreased effect. So, uh, you know, when we look at cannabis users, medicinal users, they're often using you know, sometimes seven to 10 grams of, of cannabis, which is huge. Uh, you know, they might have started off, you know, with half a gram, but over time, it just, they need to use more and more. Uh, that doesn't seem to happen with our product because it targets the CB2 receptors, which hasn't shown the same response uh, in terms of tolerance. I love the idea of, you, you mentioned like an ankle sprain or whatever it is, like you have an injury and your body's going to send inflammation to that area. It's going to upregulate the CB2 receptor sites in that area. So if you take a product like the Cananda product, it's kind of like giving your innate intelligence the building blocks to go ahead and, and heal that area. This is the area that the body has upregulated those CB2 receptors. Let's take something to enhance that repair mechanism without kind of blunting it. Meaning if somebody took like a, if they put ice on there, that, that would be a different protocol because you're kind of blunting the innate intelligence by icing it or taking a whole bunch of antioxidants or ibuprofen. From my understanding, this is different. This is giving your body the building blocks. So you're not blocking the innate intelligence. You're just allowing it to actually do a better job. Is that a fair understanding? That's a, that's a good way to put it. And that's exactly one of the things that some research has shown is that not only uh, by activating the CB2 receptors, you're not only addressing the immediate symptoms, uh, but you're actually improving the bo- the body's ability to heal. So you can actually speed healing. So it's, you're, you're not just masking symptoms. You're, you're actually, uh, to your point, providing the building blocks or the signals that your body requires to start the healing process and make it faster than other, uh, you would others, uh, otherwise see. I love that. So what's the difference between your product and like CBD oils out there, what are they targeting? What's the difference between those products and what you have? Yeah, so CBD is great. And, uh, and sometimes our products do get confused with CBD uh, just because of the name CB2. Right. Uh, of course, the, the name CB2 comes from the fact that it activates CB2 receptors. We understand that now. <laughs> I understand if you, if you yeah. didn't know, right? <laughs> um, but uh, what's interesting is that CBD actually doesn't activate CB2 receptors. Uh, and CBD of, out there. That's right. So CBD has a very low affinity for, for cannabinoid receptors. 
And, and it's funny because we it, it's called a cannabinoid. It's a cannabinoid molecule and a cannabinoid compound, but doesn't actually activate CB1 or CB2 receptors. Uh, our product is based on a terpene called beta-caryophylline, which is found in many different natural plant sources and is has a very strong affinity for CB2 receptors. And what's really cool about beta-caryophylline is it's called a selective CB2 agonist. So unlike THC, which can activate both CB1 and CB2 receptors, so just to, to, just to be clear, when you get CB2 activation from using cannabis, it's actually coming from THC. So even though people think of THC as activating the CB1 receptors and giving you the intoxication, it's actually activating CB2 receptors as well. So, uh, so a CBD oil with THC will activate CB1 and CB2, but it has to have THC. It just has to have the CBD. It has to have THC. THC. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I think when people use CBD, the, the best type of product is what they call a full-spectrum extract because the full spectrum is going to have the THC and that's where the CB2 receptor activation and a lot of the health benefits will, will actually come from. Our product is a selective CB2 agonist or an activator. And what that means is that it activates the CB2 receptors without activating the CB1. So you, again, you get all the health benefits or the uh, physiological benefits of activating uh, CB2 receptors, but none of the intoxication that comes with CB1 activation. This is just super fascinating. Okay, so the product is in the form of creams and supplements. Uh, those are the two primary ways you have to, where you could use them. That's right. Yeah. So uh, our our initial product was just the pure concentrated terpene blend. So terpenes, just to kind of uh, um, talk about that briefly, are often considered the active compounds in essential oils. So, uh, you know, you can use our concentrated terpene blend in a very similar way you use essential oils. Uh, so if you want to use it topically, you can kind of dilute it with a carrier oil and add it, um, you know, rub it into your sore joints or sore muscles. But as uh, at, like, like essential oils, you can actually get terpenes into your body through inhalation. So uh, you can actually put a few drops of the pure concentrated CB2 terpene blend into your hands, rub them together, cup them around your nose and your mouth and just take slow, deep breaths. So as they uh, evaporate off your hands, they get absorbed through the lungs. And that is one of the, the best ways to actually use terpenes. And nature has made them volatile compounds and meant to be absorbed through the lungs. So when you do that, the effects are quite quick. Uh, so I related to if, if, if anyone has experience using cannabis, both through an inhalable form like smoking or vaping uh, versus an edible, they'll tell you that, you know, when you, when you vape it or smoke it, the effects are going to hit you within seconds to minutes. Uh, whereas you eat an edible, you're looking at an hour or two hours before it hits you. So it's dangerous because you're like, I don't feel anything. Let me eat more. And then all of a sudden you've got to watch out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So so same thing with these terpenes. When you inhale it, they get into your, uh, they get absorbed through your lungs and the effects are a lot quicker than than our oil or supplement versions where you're you're ingesting it. Often because it's a uh, fat-soluble compound, you're eating it with, uh, you're taking it with food or your, your dinner. And the effects are, are going to come on hours later. So again, so, so as an example, if you have an anxiety attack where you want the, the effects to be immediate, using our terpene product through inhalation is going to bring you that quick relief, whereas uh, maybe dealing with chronic stress or something like that might be better with our supplement form, whether it's the oil or, or uh, soft gel form. That's uh, great. It's great to hear that. Um, so... Can you diffuse it as well, like an essential oil? You can. Uh, my only 
thought on that is that when you diffuse it, it's just kind of it's going to get diluted in the the air of the room. Uh, so you're not really going to get a good dose of yeah, those. Yeah, it's not those, concentrated. That's like right. It, yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know you might you might get some benefit, but it's it's really questionable. It, it's you know it might smell good too, um, but to get the, the good concentration of the terpenes into your body, you really need to kind of use it through direct inhalation. But it might smell good and it's not going to hurt you. So it could be an option is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not going to get the strong effect if you, if you just put it on your hands and, and in, inhaled it. What about, so my dog, I have my, my dog is sleeping here. He has, when there's thunder or fireworks or when I'm traveling, he gets, he gets, he starts shaking. He has anxiety. Will something like this, um, help with dogs that have anxiety and how would I use it for my dog? Yeah. So what's really cool about the endocannabinoid system is that every vertebrate mammal has an endocannabinoid system. So, um, that includes dogs. We actually have a dog line called doggies, uh, CB2 oh, and, nice. uh, it, it's actually, um, our top seller, our Amazon seller in Canada, it, it has it as a, um, a number one bestseller on Amazon. So it's doing wow. really well. And uh, we have, you know, again, thousands of testimonials with respect to use of our products in dogs. The cool thing is, is that in Canada, we actually have Health Canada's approval uh, for our doggies line with the claims of um, uh, joint health, stress, and more specifically, stress related to uh, diet changes or travel. We have a claim with respect to uh, immune system as well as uh, general health. So those are approved claims that we can make on our, our, our products. So a lot of people do use it for, uh, for stress-related um, uh, behavior in, in dogs, whether it's separation anxiety or, or things like uh, thunderstorms or fire. Thunderstorm. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you had that. So it's called Doggy CB2? Is that what it's called? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you go to our website, which is cananda.com, uh, you can see the, uh, the dog products there. I love it. So let me ask you this. Who should not use this product? Well, you know what? Uh, so every ingredient that we use in our products has grass status or generally recognized as safe. So that is a, uh, that is a U.S.-based food safety designation, which means that these ingredients are as safe as ingesting food. So when you look at food ingredients, there really is no age restriction. So technically, it's safe for, for everyone. Uh, that being said, we usually recommend six years and above. Um, so, so we say, you know, six years and above, you can use our products. And we, we've had a lot of individuals uh, or parents give our products for various reasons to their, to their children as, as well. Just going back to, and I wanted to finish my thought on dogs, and and I mentioned, you know, all vertebrates have an endocannabinoid system. The fact that we use terpenes, you have to just tread carefully with cats. And the reason is, is that cats do have an endocannabinoid system and it could benefit from these products. And a lot of people have used our products for cats, but cats also metabolize terpenes at a much slower rate than humans and dogs. Uh, And for that reason, the dose given to cats is you know, a fraction of what the label for dogs says. We don't have a line for cats, but a lot of people do use our dog products for cats. Just have to understand that uh, you're only using one or two milliliters of the hemp seed oil version and the pure concentrated terpene drops, usually not used for cats because even one drop is, is a little bit too much. Mm, that's good to know. Okay, there you go. That's, that's perfect. So I have two cats and a dog, so that's good for me to know as well. We're going to drop a link for your website uh, down below for everybody to go check this out and get the product. 
Last question for you is um, about a supplement, but it's not the supplement you created. It's a different one that also has been proven to be anti-inflammatory. I've seen it help with anxiety, um, fat loss, and sleep. I call it vitamin G, and I'm referring to the practice of gratitude. I think it's such a healing vitamin, and, and that's what we want to call it. So the question to you, Lee, is what are you grateful for today, my friend? You know what? I am so grateful for everyone that's come into my life. I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've been given if it wasn't for everyone that's come into my life, whether it's, uh, you know, even, even just talking to you, you Ben, and my, my partner, my children, they've all taught me so much. My, my business partners, even, even just, you know, the people that read my book and reach out to me, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible how fortunate I've been. And I often think what, I must have been a great human being in a previous lifetime to deserve this, right? So, um, so yeah, in terms of gratitude, and I, I, I 100% agree with you. Gratitude is, is so important. That, that outlook and that mindset that's needed to just be grateful all, all the time really does benefit you uh, personally in terms of your own health as well. So being grateful and just having that attitude of gratitude all the time is extremely important for health as well as, you know, it just makes the world a better place. It does. Yeah. You can't overdose on it. There's no upper limit. You could, kids could take it. Dogs could take it. Cats could take it. We could take it. So yeah, vitamin G is very, very powerful. And, you know, to your point about all the people who have entered your life, including the women who told you about uh, naturopathic yeah, school, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It's all these, all these pieces. It's pretty cool to look back and see how you know, I believe in God. So how God put these people in your life to like kind of make you create this this uh, life on purpose with your purpose, which is a, a beautiful thing to see. So I'm grateful for you, Lee, and the book you wrote and how that connected me to you. And now what you're doing with your product and uh, the new company, uh, Cananda, is just so fascinating. I, I really learned a lot about uh, the endocannabinoid system, CB1 receptors, CB2 receptors, to the point where I, I feel like I could explain it to somebody because I understand it. You did that good of a job because I didn't really have a good understanding. So thank you for that. And uh, we're going to put your website down below. There's anywhere else that you want them to go check you out. Uh, our Instagram handle is Kananda Crew uh, at Kananda Crew. You can always reach out to us, whether through our website or our Instagram handle. Ask questions. Let us know what you're thinking. And we're always ready to help. Awesome. Thank you, Lee. We'll do round two, talk about some of the updated research you're doing. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ben. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Lee. No, I sure did. I love that guy. He's got incredible research out there. Go get his book, Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. We'll drop a link down below. If you want to get some of his Kananda products, we'll drop a link down below as well. I am about to use his products and I'm going to use it on my dog as well. And I'm excited because his research is phenomenal. So if you want to get some of his products, we'll drop a link for that down below in the podcast notes, along with his website, his social media, everything can be found down below. Please share this with friends, somebody you believe who could take a lot of value from a conversation like this. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview and all interviews, YouTube is the place to be, youtube.com slash ketocamp. Please leave the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already, and I'll see you on the next episode.
This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.